Recorded during the plague year 2020, this is the Andromeda Minute. Each week we get together to talk about the all-too-timely 1971 Robert Wise-directed techno-thriller, The Andromeda Strain. One minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Pete Mummert from the Indiana Jones Minute Podcast. Uh, not dot com. <laughs> uh, well, Pete, thanks for uh, finishing up the week with us here. This is uh, th- this minute here is kind of uneventful, but there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on uh, both technologically and topographically. It's kind of kind of confusing, and uh, I we're, we're back in the Caper One van that uh, was you know state of the art in 1971, and uh, very. Very exciting and very technologically advanced. I mean, when you're watching this in the 70s, it's like, oh, they've got a, you know, they've got like a bat homing signal thing. Well, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of questions about that because I, so. I realized, I mean, my whole life I've I've seen the, this happen. You know, like they've got they can zoom in on whatever they're tracking or you know a spy movie or a TV show or anything. But was this real technology that they could have had in 1970 where you could track something like this? Uh, it was, it was ranging. There was a, there was a, you could find things by range, but it, what's, what's peculiar is, is the a bit, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's not that dissimilar to, um, uh, distance, it, it's, it's distance measuring equipment, DME. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they had it in aircraft and things like that. Um, and with, uh, I mean, there's, there's kind of weird stuff going on here. There's, there's this, uh, this dish that's kind of a radar dish that's pulling in weak signals and, and the, the idea is that you have a on that on that radar dish, you're focusing a weak signal that bounces on the inside of the dish and hits the uh, the collector, the horn that's at the top of uh, of the focus point of the dish, um, and that kind of works for very distant objects. But locally, it's not gonna it's not gonna do you much good. This is almost mm. line of sight, so really all you need to do is have a directional more like a Yagi, if you've ever seen a UHF antenna. You just basically need like a gun-shaped oh, okay. antenna. Yeah. It kind, of, kind of like a shotgun microphone is uh-huh. what you would use. So this this is more like a movie shorthand of when you see this, that's, oh, that's what a radar looks like. So, that you know, they have that swinging around the crazy outsized dish. But mostly you just need directional, uh, something that looks like a shotgun microphone pointing around to see where it was. But so um, the way radar worked at the time, it would have to be spinning constantly like this to... Uh, no, no. All that you're doing there when you're spinning it is you're just trying to find the direction. I mean, if you found, if you found the direction, uh, you know, when you're looking at that oscilloscope, the oscilloscope is showing you where, where that dish is pointing toward, Mm. but you could point it in any individual direction. But this is, this would be considered active radar that it's actually pinging a, a radio signal out and sending it back kind of like sonar works. Okay. Only with radio waves, but this, you know, the, the assumption here is that the satellite is sending out some kind of a radio wave, and there's nothing, there's nothing active about it. So all you'd need to do is just keep pointing a, uh, an antenna in in different directions until you found out where, you know, on what bearing that particular, uh, you know, that particular emission was coming from. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's very it's mostly just there there i think what's happening here is that wise is dealing with what the audience knows the audience knows uh-huh. that's what a radar dish looks like uh-huh. and if you're looking at a radar dish you're going to have something like an air traffic controller has with a big o scope um but it's really not that not that necessary for what they were finding here um, it can and, would anything okay. at the time have been that fine-grained like where if they're in a four block radius town if they could 
would that be I, too small a distance to be able to tell which direction it was coming from? Or well, what what you would do is if you, it, I'm assuming that what they do is they they take a position from one place, they get a bearing, you drive a block and a half somewhere, mm. and that bearing changes. You say, okay, well, I can see that I'm you know I'm on the hypotenuse of a triangle, and you know I got to drive I got to drive to where the the bases meet. Uh huh. And uh, I think that's I think that's what they're trying to do here for for that as to. As to the range, you can tell, you know, if you know the Pythagorean theorem, you're just, you, you know how long the base, the, 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 the hypotenuse that you're, that you're riding on. So you just got to figure out what the, where the two legs are. Mm. And, um, you know, if, if, if it's making that much of a difference when you drive down a street that, that it changes the bearing, you know, it's very close by. I mean, mm. the parallax is very, the parallax would be very great at that point because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's right here in the foreground. Um but it's not it's not going to be like a bat scope where it's telling you it's at this street you know nowadays <laughs> nowadays it would give you your latin longitude yeah. right you know right yeah. there but uh, at the time this was uh you know this this was just pure magic so <laughs> and, and people you know people didn't know it, like audiences nowadays would say well why didn't it just give you the gps and tell you, you know where it i i was watching the other night i was watching on youtube they have um the uh, the 1980s series uh, or the late 1970s series um, connections with uh, uh, James Burke BBC production hmm. um, and uh, he was showing a very early use of GPS and he had this honking grate bigger than a lunchbox uh, it was it was like a like a briefcase sized um, computer that was picking up uh, signals from one of the first GPS uh, satellites. Wow. And it, he was doing all kinds of calculations and things with it to show that he was in the south of France, you know, on the Mediterranean border. And it could it could narrow down to where he was within a half a mile. Wow. And, <laughs> you know, and seeing it, you're like, okay, well, this, you know, that's, that's the technology that's kind of about halfway from the distance between where we are mm-hmm. and where this movie was. So, uh-huh. Just oh, imagining how state of the art this was. I mean, at, at, <laughs> now they did have they did have uh, directional, you know, they did have uh, uh, geo presence, you know, p- positioning systems back then. But most of them were located along shorelines. The Navy had the Loran system, hmm. which uh, had a, it, it was a series of uh, repeater uh, radio uh, antenna sources, and if you knew, and it's all set at slightly different frequencies and sending out different signals. And so what you could do is you could tell, based on where you were, you would, if you would get the different signals at different bearings, much like uh, DME equipment for, uh, for aircraft, uh, if, you, if you knew that you were along one line at a, you know, 120 degrees and another line at 30 degrees, you could say, well, I'm this far out at sea. Okay. Now, so it didn't work too much far past the uh, line of sight from the, from, you know, over, the, over the horizon. Huh. But it was very accurate when it came to figuring out how to enter a harbor and things like that. So it was very uh-huh. good for uh, for maritime navigation, especially when entering entering a harbor. Huh. And that was used for gosh, almost forty years, I think. Wow. Um, so, but you know, it's, it's uh, a little bit different when they're when they're driving around and trying to you know, make a left, make a right on in the middle <laughs> of a nowhere town in Piedmont. Um, this is this particular minute is the minute we were talking about earlier this week that it kind of gives you crazy ideas on where the town is. Mm-hmm. And I swear they're moving that, that pink, uh, there's a, there's a pink Chevy Bel Air <laughs> 57 Chevy. And it keeps, it keeps showing up in the background. Um, they back away from it. They back toward it. And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just everywhere. 
<laughs> and I, th I think what they're trying to do is make the town a little bit bigger than it was. Mm -hmm. If you look, I mean, we, we had talked about yesterday or on Wednesday, the uh, the church is kind of like the south center of town. So there really aren't that many buildings. When you see the, uh, the shot toward the, I guess, about 45 seconds in, you see the shot, you'll see the mountains in the background. Uh -huh. And there's like on the right hand side, there's a row of shops and there's another like a warehouse in the back in the distance. And then uh, we see there's a doctor's office, Dr. Alan Benedict, and he apparently has a house that's like, you know, across, the, it's across the parking lot from the church. And uh, from what I've looked at in previous minutes, behind his house is the grocery store that we saw the woman with the, with the Coca-Cola bottle sprawled all over the place. Mm. And he lives uh, kind of across the street from uh, the back of uh, uh the friend, you know, fr uh, the friendly service, Ted's friendly uh, service store. Okay. So, so they basically, while he, while they're driving around saying make a left, make a right, they're, they're mostly just driving around in the parking lot in front of the church, <laughs> and they just do a couple of, uh, you know, they just do a couple of quick shots to make it look like there's a big town, <coughs> but it's not. I mean, it's not that much of a, <laughs> it's not that much of a town to do. It's mostly they're they're driving around the perimeter of the parking lot trying to make it look like they've been driving through, <laughs> driving through town all day. I do have to say it's a it's a nice uh, and seems like a sort of an, an extravagant set design touch that they painted the P on the side of the mountain. Um, yeah, I've talked about that in previous ones. That, that P, I I wonder if they named the town Piedmont or just you know it's, oh like, if it was already there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and there are a bunch of mountains out in West Texas that have giant letters painted on them. Usually naming the uh, either the college or the high school that's near if, for example if you go to El Paso one thing you can't help but notice is the giant M that's mm -hmm. on uh, that's on the mountain in El Paso state uh, which stands for the miners of uh, UTEP the University of Texas at El Paso so they have a large a large M at the end of town that you can see from most of the city of El Paso yeah when I was a kid I spent uh, a lot of my childhood in Fort Collins Colorado where Colorado State is and while today they're the Rams they used to be the Aggies and there is ah. a giant A uh, on, on the mountain overlooking the town and you can like from everywhere in town you can see it yeah see i mean they could have filmed it there and just renamed the town yeah Averton or something. <laughs> avery or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but it's yeah it, it's one of the things that puzzles me is um and i guess they, they can't address it in the uh they, they can't really address it in the movie but how <sighs> this town you know shafter is a, is a ghost town but piedmont isn't a ghost town and how is it that nobody's, you know, nobody in Piedmont ever calls anybody and nobody in Piedmont ever goes anywhere? Or, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, all these, like the grocery store and stuff that, that bothers me that, you know, the Coca-Cola distributor is going to be driving in from wherever, uh, Albuquerque or something. And are they going to get turned away by the National Guard at the end of town? Or mm. what's, you know, where mm. is all that happening? Um, and um, is everybody that calls in getting a phone message similar to what Dr. Stone's wife got in there, you know, in the uh -huh. minute where, you know, this is a national, national security. And how does that not alert the news <laughs> yeah, the and media, all that? Yeah. Yeah. But what the, I, I, one thing I was confused about, it's been a while, uh, a few weeks since I watched the movie, but what time of day does all of this take place? Because I thought it was, a, I mean, maybe just because the, the army shows up at night, but it seems like there are a lot of people out and about. So I guess actually the the satellite fell during the day yeah i think i think what we're looking at is a satellite fell about it, this is in 
this is roughly in the end of January, beginning of February. And the satellite, the satellite fell out of the sky sometime like around four, four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And so I think people might have been doing their shopping. Uh-huh. Uh, and whoever found the satellite, they brought it to the doctor, as we're, as we're going to see, Dr. Benedict. Uh-huh. Dr. Benedict opened up the satellite, and everybody in the town died sometime between maybe sunset and, uh, uh, you know, an hour or two, or however, however long it took the doughboy and the, and the little old lady to kill themselves. Yeah. Um, so, I guess it just, it just feels like there are a lot of, I mean, a lot of people out in the streets, although I, I also guess there was a lot less indoor entertainment in 1970 than there was today. Yeah. And I don't know, like uh, this town of this, this very tiny town, how many people have to be out at once? It's, it's mm-hmm. not, it's, is it, um, and I don't, you know, this, this is kind of a dated thing, but back in the, back in the fifties, sixties and seventies, early part of the seventies, there used to be a shopping nights, Thur- Thursday nights huh. were typically shopping nights and you'd have, Stores would be open late. They'd be open until 9 o'clock, and it was just for people who were working second shift and things. Oh, okay. They'd go in, and normally when things closed, um, I know this this happened in a lot of big cities. Um, I, I grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey, just south of Newark, and I know that both Elizabeth and Newark had Thursday shopping nights that would go to, to 9, sometimes even to the ungodly hour of 9.30. <laughs> wow, and, I heard of that. Um, yeah, and you know, I'm thinking maybe this was on a Thursday. Maybe there's, huh, there was a, yeah. something where they were going in. But I, I don't know. It's it just uh, seems it seems very bustling for this tiny town. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm and I'm assuming, I'm assuming when Caper One finally showed up as they were tracking this down, that Cape that uh, the scoop satellite kind of got them by surprise. It came down a little early, and um, they were still driving out of California. You know, they were driving from Vandenberg mm-hmm. into New Mexico. That's a hike. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might have gotten out a couple hours late, and when when we see them at the beginning of the movie, it's you know it's dark. They've got they've got to use night scopes and things to see. Yeah, and and everything in town, everything in town is dark. There's no lights on in town, which means everybody's oh, yeah. everybody's dead. So that means they must have died during the daytime. Right, when the I lights thought about on. that. Yeah, that's good. So, but yeah, no, it's 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 good to think about. And this is, you know, so this is roughly 24 hours after it all happened. Hmm. And um, yeah, I, but it's again, it's this weird. This changing, I mean, we're seeing really long shadows. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, it's wintertime, so there, there might be long shadows early. But the the time of day just keeps, seems to, it seems to change, you know, the shadows change shot to shot. And uh-huh. it's not, it, it's it's very, yeah, it, the, the continuity is really a, a stinker on this one. Um, I, I, that's, that's kind of, uh, well, but... But at the time, you know, and especially for somebody like Robert Wise, mm-hmm. in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, reality didn't matter that much. You know, if you see, if you watch on on earlier, you know, I mean, if you watch any Hitchcock movie, gosh, mm-hmm. all the all the rear the rear projection stuff. Yeah, and you're like, ah, and but but you, you you accepted that as the shorthand of this is how things were back then, mm-hmm. and it's okay if you saw, you know, you're in Rome and you see the Colosseum in the back of the, the car <laughs> as you're driving. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm just guessing on why he he was like, well this is this is what we got to live with and we've only got you know we're we're only going to set up here in Shafter for six days so we've got to get everything yeah. crammed in in six yeah. days, and this is you know what what is this like one one sixth of the we're, we're just coming up on the first half hour of the movie, um, it's you know they've, they've got this is a quarter of the film, so they they had a they had to shoot a lot to get you know. 
to get to this point and get and get out of Piedmont as early as possible. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's it's puzzling. But I think I think some of the elements that happen to it is that it's it's an older director who's used to not having to worry about realism and uh, and a budget. I mean, uh-huh. this this thing. They, I think they spent all the money on building wildfire, and uh, they really <laughs> yeah. didn't didn't have a lot left over for the location shots here. Everything yeah. else, they could bring it bring it on home and, and do it in the uh, in the Universal Studio. Do you know what order they filmed it in? Like if this was filmed before or after the wildfire there's, parts? There's almost nothing about this film. I've tried, hmm. and um, you know, tr- trying to get to the the Robert Wise papers are at Ampass in uh, in L.A. and hmm. you got to. You got to go there in person to look at them. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Not this year, but maybe <laughs> some sometime in the future. I'll 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 save some of the uh, the movie credits at the end and <laughs> yeah. just add in what I what I found out there. It's <laughs> it's frustrating how much stuff is not online. Um, I had a when I was working on my master's degree. Uh, part of my master's degree concerned um, Frank Capra and uh, and John Sturges and, and people making uh, the movie Marooned. Hmm. And I, I wound up looking through the uh, the Gregory Peck papers at uh, the, the fantastic Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences uh, library in in Beverly Hills, and it, the the amount of material they have is is astonishing. I mean, there are warehouses full of old scripts and things from so many so many different actors and producers and directors and editors and wow songwriters there if you ever if, if you really ever want to do a deep dive on any on any kind of a movie and you have any access to beverly hills uh get get to the ampass uh, uh library and there there's a flood of stuff a lot of things have never been looked at um if you pick i mean if you go to a, a very popular movie you're probably going to find a lot of people have been digging through it but when mm-hmm. i was looking through marooned i think i might have been one of the first people to ever look at their stuff wow um, wow and I, I i had i was i was fortunate enough to look through gregory peck's uh personal script from uh huh. from marooned and he was trying to figure out there's a lot of things in maroon that had puzzled me it's, maybe someday i'll do a marooned minute <laughs> but one of the things that uh, I could never figure out what his his character was always angry about stuff and would never do things. And he was underlining script lines that he had to say. And he, he's like, why would I do this? Why would I? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. I can't I, I can't just do this for the sake of saying it. And, you know, it's just it's just amazing when you see how much. It, it, he felt like it, it felt like you're reading a running commentary of the movie oh, with that's Gregory cool. Peck. That's very so, cool. uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's a great it's a great place. I'm I'm sorry this year doesn't seem to be the the one to do it, but if you ever get a chance, go to Beverly Hills and and think of a movie that you want that you love from the past. They probably have original scripts, uh, show notes, and all kinds of uh, correspondence between like the director and the the producer and asking for more money and things. Like that. It's just <laughs> it's just the day to day business. They uh-huh. they saved a lot more ephemera than you would expect. Huh. Do you have to have special credentials or like pre-written? Uh, I, uh, I had proof? well, I I was coming in from a I was coming in from a school project, so I could you know I could wave my uh, my school credentials uh-huh. at them. But I think if you you know if you showed them that you, I don't know, if, you know for example, if you run a run a very popular podcast, you could probably uh, go in and say, look, I'm I'm looking at this particular movie to find out background information for my show. Huh. I I think that would be okay. Huh. Um, one of the sadder things though I, that I saw though was, uh, <laughs> in, you know, it, because uh, the, the academy has, uh, and this is going to change because they're they're building a museum now, um, but uh, 
they have a lot of stuff store, stored away in trophy cases and things. And one of the things they had was, I think it was 1997 or 1998, the opening of the, uh, the Oscars, the show, uh, the, the, uh, the Academy Awards, uh, was done from space. And they had an Oscar that an astronaut held up in space. And it was... <laughs> It was stuffed in a, you know, it was stuffed in this trophy in a closet in the back next to, you know, next to the card catalogs and stuff. I was like, this thing's been in space and it weighs like, you know, three and a half pounds. So it took a lot of energy to get it oh, into yeah. space and then to slow yeah. it down and everything. And here it is jammed into a, a trophy case. But you know, I've, I've seen worse hidden in, in you know, <laughs> Indiana Jones style. It's just kind of uh-huh. like forgotten in a box. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, hopefully they'll have. I know that they're building an academy uh, museum with a lot of things, so hopefully that'll get a, a more prominent position. Yeah, hopefully. Um, wow. Well, I think I've got a little bit uh, astray from uh, from the movie, but there's really not much. This this particular minute is going out. I've wondered about the name Alan Benedict. I've tried to find any kind of a relationship that anybody named Alan Benedict um, could be to Robert Wise, but as far as I can tell, it's just a name on a sign. Hmm. Um, it could be, I mean, it's like, he, it's the reverse of Benedict Arnold or ben, Benedict, I, you know, it, it just, I, I don't know where the name came from, but I just, I wonder if it was just, you know, pulled out of a hat or it, I know it was, in, it was in the book, but, uh, I just, I was kind of surprised that it doesn't have, Wise doesn't seem to, to leave any Easter eggs. So uh-huh. it could just be, that was what the script said. So that's what they put on the sign. Huh. Um, I, I like the, uh, the well-tended greenery right next to the house. Like, I wonder if that was a, a set designer had to go in and, or a set dresser had to go in and, okay, get these four plants out. And... Yeah, yeah, dig up. Yeah, I mean, considering that it's a ghost town, yeah. yeah. It could have been, and paint the fence and, or put up a fence mm. and uh, mow the lawn or drop down whatever looks like a lawn. <laughs> um, in, a, in an earlier minute, um, I think it was Chris Epting was on the show uh, last week, and he had asked what the uh, yellow ball was on the in the background and this particular minute at uh, at second 46 kind of answers that question there it wasn't a ball it's the uh there's kind of an overturned pylon yeah. a yellow pylon yeah and we see from the store that you can see on the right hand side of the screen that's where the grocery store was looking backwards from that direction that's the it, we were looking at the bottom of that particular pylon mm. which looked like a yellow ball in the middle of nowhere hmm. so um anyway i hope hopefully that answers the question from a previous minute <laughs> Ah, wow. Well, Pete, thanks for so much for being on the show this week. Oh, thank um, you, Jim. This was a lot these, of fun. These, this is a it's it's a weird movie. Um, it's like I always say, it's it's terribly timely. And uh, is this a movie that you you could do? You feel it has rewatchability? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. I, I I mean, I've I guess this was the second time I've seen it, but I think I could probably go another twenty years and be okay. Yeah. Although I did really enjoy it. Yeah, it's um. I mean, the the script seems to be it's 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 very much by the numbers, you know. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're really waving. There's so many shotguns they're hanging on the wall that you know they're going to pull. <laughs> it, 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 um, and it's very, uh, very direct. But I feel like the the characters themselves seem to be uh, likable. Mm-hmm. That um, I I like the the realism, especially uh, Doctor Levitt, the the female scientist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's she kind of turns into a fan favorite because she's so yeah she's how the audience feels i think <laughs> <laughs> i could also watch those uh just a, a still frame of those wildfire sets for for days and days 
Yeah, yeah. You wanna you wanna move to a place that yeah. you know is giant, like <laughs> being inside of a giant donut, a five story donut. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, how the idea that you can make a movie that fully one half hour of it is devoted to cleanliness. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's yeah. kind of a neat freak. I, I, actually, that that part really I, I yeah. enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, it's like they could hand out wet wipes on every floor. It'd be fine. <laughs> but yeah, no, just uh, it's a very very pleasant thing. And uh, mm. yeah, I, and I I don't know. I mean, it it it's a movie that I don't I don't think it could be like you know on your top three list. But it's definitely it's it doesn't have anything really objectionable in it. Right, it's, I agree. Uh, yeah. It's just a, a nice. Uh, it's a romp. It's 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 a it's it's like getting on a ride. I think too. Mm-hmm. You're in you're in for the ride, and you don't have to think too hard. But it gives you some interesting points to ponder. Yeah, it's definitely an enjoyable movie. Ah, wow. Well, again, thanks so much, uh, Pete. When you're not here, where where can other people hear you? Uh, we have a podcast called the Indiana Jones Minute Podcast, where we do the same thing uh, with Andromeda Strain, but with Indiana Jones, all of the Indiana Jones movies. Wow, more government workers. Yep. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, uh, for folks who want to talk more about uh, working for the government and, and uh, driving around looking for uh, looking for lost satellites, we're always available on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Andromeda Minute or on uh, Facebook, of course, at Project Wildfire. Love hearing from you. So please uh, drop by and talk with us. If you're uh, missing the show, if you've missed any of the previous episodes, they're available on our big site at AndromedaMinute.com. Uh, or you can find it at whatever podcatcher you like, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. They're, they're, it's out there, so yeah, you can find us there. Um, thanks for listening to the show this week. Uh, join us. We're going to have another uh, Indiana Jones uh, guest on next week, so, uh, so check that out. In the meantime, please uh, wash your hands, stay six feet apart, and uh, we'll get through this uh, hopefully very soon. So uh, we'll see you here next time, next week, on the Andromeda Minute. Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here.